This is episode 178 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today we have two wonderful guests. We have Lauren Herman, who is a multi-passionate SLP who turned, who turned a frustrating encounter with a radiologist into a research opportunity. In addition to ASHA, Lauren is a member of the Radiological Society of North America and the American Interprofessional Healthcare Collaborative. She loves connecting with other people and advocating for our work as SLPs. Speaking of which, her book, titled But My Speech is Fine, is in the final editing process and is set to be published sometime before this summer. To learn more about Lauren, be sure to follow her on Instagram at slp.advocate. And our next guest is Dr. Benjamin Murbach. He is an assistant professor of radiology at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine in Chapel Hill. Ben completed medical school, radiology residency, and a fellowship in abdominal imaging at the University of Michigan before joining the faculty at UNC in 2017. As an abdominal imager, he is involved multiple times weekly with fluoroscopic evaluation of the GI tract, including the interpretation of modified barium swallow studies. This is Vince Clark, Marketing Director for the MetaSLP Collective. Teresa Richard asked me to stop by and say a few words about the MetaSLP Collective and its relation to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. The Swallow Your Pride podcast is designed to be free and easily accessible to the SLPs and SLTs of the world. It doesn't cost the listener anything, and certain decisions were made behind the scenes not to offer CEUs for Swallow Your Pride. We wanted to be able to discuss any topic related to swallowing, swallowing disorders, and the medical SLP world at large. Teresa fully intends to keep the podcast free and hopefully viable and ongoing for a long, long time. You may also notice that Swallow Your Pride advertises products and services at times. That, along with donations through Patreon, are the only ways that this podcast is funded. Also, Teresa only advertises products and services that align with the values of her overall organization. In addition, speakers give freely of their time. There is no financial reimbursement for appearing on Swallow Your Pride. With all of that in mind, we would like to announce that the MetaSLP Collective will join Swallow Your Pride as an advertising sponsor. As you are most likely aware, the MetaSLP Collective is a business, and it does make money. However, it does not fund the Swallow Your Pride podcast. The MetaSLP Collective stands alone and is an extension of what Teresa saw possible once the Swallow Your Pride podcast became so popular. We decided that given Swallow Your Pride's scope and reach to the SLP and SLT world, that we wanted to be an advertiser for ourselves. After all, Swallow Your Pride is one of the most popular SLP-related podcasts in the world, recently hitting 2.4 million total downloads. It really makes sense for us, for the viability of the podcast, and for the listener to continue to receive a high-quality, free product. We just wanted to put that out to the world in the spirit of transparency to our long-time listeners, so they would understand the relationship. In a few moments, you will hear an ad for the MetaSLP Collective. We hope you consider joining, and we also hope you will stick around for this week's Swallow Your Pride conversation. So when I first started using social media and the internet for contact with the world of the medical speech language pathologist, I noticed that while there was a lot of potential there, there were also a lot of problems. Like whose information do you trust? Who is an expert? Is what being posted online really evidence-based practice? By answering those questions for myself, I found the answer for some others. That answer has become the Medical SLP Collective. As we all learned last year with COVID, sometimes there is no roadmap or journal article for a specific case or scenario. Using clinical expertise from a variety of settings combined with research and experience, we've cultivated a supportive community that provides education and mentorship to help you get the best results for your patients. Join us May 17th through May 21st for our third Medical SLP Summit. Join us to hear cutting edge information from 20 of our mentors that help to educate our members daily. 
The summit serves as the grand opening for the Medical SLP Collective open enrollment period, which will begin during the summit. You can sign up for the Medical SLP Summit completely free at www.medslpcollective.com forward slash summit. That's www.medslpcollective.com forward slash S-U-M-M-I-T. And we look forward to seeing you there. If you don't need any further convincing and would like to sign up now for the MedSLP Collective or just check out a little bit more about what it is all about, you can go directly to www.medslpcollective.com forward slash video series. That's medslpcollective.com forward slash video series. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So I am joined by the wonderful Lauren Herman. You guys have heard from Lauren before, and I'll have her introduce herself in a minute. And also Dr. Ben Mervak, who is a radiologist. Yay. I know we've had so many requests for getting a radiologist on here because so many of us work with radiologists every day. Um, and we have some points of contention that we would love to discuss. But that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about kind of an amazing research opportunity that Lauren stumbled upon and and Ben has, has agreed to help her out with it. And this is, I think, going to be an amazing, um, you know, we've watched this entire process unfold, but I, I can't wait to get to the end and see how it all how it all unfolds. So Lauren, if you want to tell the people who you are again. Yes. So as Teresa said, I'm Lauren Herman. I am a medically based speech pathologist. Um, Although I'm currently not working in the hospitals, I am continuing my research between radiologists and SLPs because I am just so stinking passionate about teamwork and a professional collaboration and dysphagia. And I don't know if you may just give a quick recap now, I guess, from the last episode that I was on. Sure. So that was episode 123. And that is when I discussed, I guess, my story on how I got into this research between SLPs and radiologists. Um, it happened after a particular event at a, a community hospital that I used to work in um, where I was about to do the MBS IMP, start with a thin liquid, but the radiologist uh, at that time basically asked me to start with a thicker liquid. And he explained that as soon as the patient aspirates, the study ends. And so I tried to kindly explain what the MBS IMP protocol was and that, you know, I wanted to start with a thin liquid. And that's when uh, he had told me that he had been practicing there for 30 years and what he did was standard protocol. So that was kind of my first in the face lesson of, oh my gosh, how much do we communicate with our radiologists on what the standard protocols are? And you know, it was an awkward situation and I was frustrated. I worked with him, but then when I came home, that's when um, I was talking to my husband who also happens to be a radiologist uh, about the day's events and how I wanted to do an in-service. And he was actually the first one to suggest that I go above and beyond an in-service and try to do something where I could present at the Radiologic Society of North America, RSNA's annual convention. So that's where the idea to survey radiologists and speech pathologists was born because I really wanted to understand what the practice preferences and opinions between radiologists and SLPs actually were, get data behind that instead of just hearing all the anecdotal evidence. You know, we hear SLPs talk about it a lot on Facebook, but that's not something I can really present at a convention. So that's where the survey was born. Awesome. All right. 
And Ben, who are you? Hi, uh, nice to meet you or uh, nice to speak with you all. So my name is Ben Mervak. I'm uh, one of the abdominal radiologists at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. So I'm a member in the uh, abdominal imaging division where we do uh, all kinds of fluoroscopic studies, including modified uh, barium swallows, as well as esophagrams, upper GIs, barium enemas, you name it. As uh, Lauren mentioned, we we connected kind of through your husband, who uh, I trained with at Michigan, where I was a resident and did my fellowship. So that's kind of how we uh, got introduced there. I was not the community radiologist who kind of mansplained <laughs> the uh, process by which uh, yes. modified barium swallows should be performed, um, but was sort of hurt to hear that uh how that had um, taken place. So like I said, we do all kinds of fluoroscopic studies on a daily, weekly basis. So we love to have communication with our speech language pathologists. And I think they do a great job of um, synthesizing the important um, pieces of knowledge uh, that are needed for patient care. Excellent. Well, we are so glad you're here, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for agreeing to help out Lauren with her study and also come on this podcast because I think there's going to be a ton of valuable information for our profession and, and hopefully for yours as well. So thank you again. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah. All right. So Lauren, where, where do we want to start? Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> can you see why, can you see why I reached out to Ben to be yes, a co-investigator? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's a great supporter. And it's just, it really fuels my motivation even more to work harder towards helping other SLPs and radiologists really improve that teamwork. Um, and I guess really, I couldn't explain. So I, I reached out to Ben through um, LinkedIn, actually. And this is when we were disseminating the survey, trying to get radiologists and SLPs to fill out the survey. And uh, his response was just so kind. You know, Absolutely. We'll give this to my team. If there's anything else I can help with, let me know. I'm like, all right, so can you be a co-investigator? <laughs> all right. And he agreed. So this is why it's just so wonderful. So I guess we can talk about giving updates on the survey results, because this is what really dives into the different opinions and perspectives, at least that we gathered from those who completed the survey, uh, the differences between radiologists and SLPs. So Let's see. Overall, I have the manuscript. We have our manuscripts typed up here and I have the manuscript pulled up. And I think overall we had 20 different questions. And these questions were, they were posed as statements. And then radiologists and SLPs had to rate on a scale of zero to 100. So on this sliding scale, how much they agreed or disagreed with the statements. Ultimately, it was pretty much every statement uh, SLPs and radiologists did disagree on is one thing that we had found. And we're not going to go over all of these statements in this one podcast, but Ben and I had kind of come up with several points that we could discuss and maybe we could give the SLP perspective on that. And then Ben can offer his radiology perspective on that. If that sounds like a plan. Sounds great. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I would love to go over the first one. This is again, this is kind of the domino of, of what started out this survey for me, this statement was that as soon as a patient aspirates, then the study must be terminated. So upon first aspiration event, agree or disagree, there was a statistically significant difference between radiologists and SLPs on that statement. Um, SLPs on a scale of, uh, let's see, zero to 100, the median they put down was zero. So they strongly disagreed with that statement. You know, the no, it should not end as soon as a patient aspirates. Radiologists, um, somewhat surprising, and whereas radiologists, that their median response was 51 on a scale of zero to 100. So there were more in the middle, but agreed. Ultimately, they were on the agreement side that yes, a study should end as soon as a patient aspirates. So we can go ahead and discuss kind of the SLP and radiology perspectives on that. So I don't know if Ben, if you want to go first, I guess, kind of maybe describing more of the radiologist perspective on why, why radiologists might lean more towards ending the study as soon as a patient aspirates. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, some of this is going to be sort of guessing on the, on the behalf of all of the radiologists who were, um, who filled out this survey, but I would guess that radiologists see aspiration 
penetration slash aspiration as more of like a dichotomous um, thing, event. And many people probably believe that the purpose of the study is to see whether or not aspiration is present, period. And so regardless of the type of substance that you're giving them that causes the aspiration, they probably feel that once you see it, that's period, end of story. Um, there is aspiration. This patient should not be, or you know, there, there should be limitations as far as what this patient is um, taking in by mouth. There may be some misunderstandings as far as, like we will probably talk about um, standardized protocols for modified barium swallow studies and further assessing the degrees to which this patient is experiencing dysphagia and what specific um, textures or thicknesses the patient might be able to handle um, by mouth. But there is probably some misconception that once you see aspiration of anything, that everything else should be sort of off the table. I think that some of this may be grounded in just a um, sort of overzealousness for patient safety. Not that patient safety is a bad thing. It's, I mean, it's great, but there are different degrees of aspiration, I would say. There's, you know, the person who is having a tiny trickle that goes beneath the the vocal folds is very different from somebody who has just frankly dumped a large amount of material into their trachea and is suddenly coughing and sputtering there on the on the table. I think those are two different sort of scenarios. So um, wanting to um, do everything you can to make things safe for patients um, is great, but I think that there are there are different degrees of aspiration. Um, another thing that um, might be contributing is there's been a big push for um, standardized reporting in radiology. So things have been getting busier and busier throughout the medical field and standardized reporting kind of forces you into um, choosing two options in, in like a box. You have like a multiple choice questions that you might fill out when you're dictating a report. And one thing will be like aspiration was present or absent. And there's there may be a drive to kind of once aspiration is present, remove everything after that and not go any further. Sort of you're, you're sort of penned into this box of saying, well, present or absent, and that kind of perpetuates this dichotomous thinking for radiologists. That's a really interesting point, too, actually, that I had not discussed with anyone else or even thought of was just the documentation from a radiologist and, and how even documentation can drive, I guess, thinking or, you know, how to, how to set up future assessments. So, I'm really glad you brought that up. <laughs> Happy to contribute some future project ideas. <laughs> the wheels are spinning right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you, Ben. I, I think that's why, you know, I was so excited to have you come on too, because, you know, we're all just very, you know, one track minded. We all know our own little fields very well, you know, silos for quote unquote. But, you know, it's it's so interesting to hear the other perspective because it's so easy to get defensive and say, well, why aren't they doing it this way? And why don't they know everything we know, you know, and, and we don't know mm -hmm. everything you know. So we, do right, not. And we don't yeah. know what you're doing either. So this is so much valuable information. So thank you. Yeah. And I know, of course, Teresa, all of your listeners are, you know, likely thinking the same thing here from the SLP perspective. One of our common discussions is as soon as a patient aspirates, that's when the study starts. That's what yes. I hear a lot, right? As opposed yes. to that's when the study ends. So, and I know that even within the SLP community too, we're learning so much more and we're growing our practice together. And many of us used to see MBS as aspiration, no aspiration. When I first started doing MBSs, I was terrified of seeing a patient aspirate barium, um, just terrified of barium itself, because I do know that uh, once barium is aspirated, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Ben, but it, that it can stay in the lungs permanently if it's not suctioned back out. So it'll also impact future chest imaging, correct? Yeah, it depends on the amount, but I have seen some patients who have aspirated barium who have persistent, I, I don't know if it's forever, but at least for maybe a year or two, I've seen some persistent barium in the distal airways. Um, and that's true just for barium. If you're doing a um, for whatever reason, I mean, for, for modified barium swallow studies, you're using barium. But if you're doing a single phase esophagram study, you might use what's called iodinated contrast material, where the risk of aspiration there is not so much 
persistence. It, it will be reabsorbed into the body, but in the meantime, it can cause a lot of inflammation and essentially like a pneumonia and filling up of the alveoli with, with fluid if you aspirate um, iodinated contrast material. So given the choice between the two, we would prefer you to aspirate barium and not <laughs> iodinated contrast material. Good. Yeah. This, is, this is really fascinating, Ben. So my what, what I usually do is fees. I'm not sure if you're familiar with, if you know much about fees, but it's, it's an endoscopic swallow study. So it's an endoscope that goes in the nose and then we see the swallow from the top. So that's within our scope of practice. So I do that independently. We don't need a physician um, nearby. So it's interesting you know, and I'm very much of the belief of when we start aspirating is when really the study starts. But obviously, there is that fine line of professional judgment of how much aspiration are you going to let happen, you know, and so I think that's, that's definitely a main difference between fees and, and MBS is that we don't have to be cognizant of all the, you know, barium that they might be aspirating on fees, but it's definitely you know, something that I don't think people consider as much as they should. I guess I'll say the other thing about radiologists is that we've almost like subspecialized ourselves out of being useful as far as taking care of patients. <laughs> so that's like the one thing that you give up as a radiologist is patient care. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, instead of as a primary care doctor or whatever, you're taking care of your patient. As a radiologist, you're almost taking care of your doctors. Like they come to you if they don't know what's going on with their patient and you offer them an imaging study or some insight into like what might be happening. But you sort of forget everything that you may have learned in medical school about like suctioning and various types of airway protection. And so you just don't want to deal with any patient decompensating. And so depending on where these examinations are being done, if it's in a medical center, it's probably not as big of a deal because you have like an emergency room and anesthesia that's on site. But if you're in an outpatient satellite clinic, you may not have all of those immediately at hand. And as a radiologist, you might feel kind of put on the spot for a patient who's suddenly hypoxic uh, and like you're the quote unquote expert uh, in the room. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that's totally fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. See, this is why I just love these discussions, because even for me doing doing the, the survey and being married to a radiologist, I'm still learning new things here in this discussion, just looking at the radiologist's perspective. Um, and of course, my husband doesn't do MBSs anymore. He just had his experience in the residency. But then you brought up the point about taking care of the physicians. And that's, I mean, he's always on the phone calling other physicians. And that was, I'm glad you put it that way, because that helps me put things into perspective, working with radiologists in the hospital, kind of how the perspective of radiologists helping patients directly in their care versus helping physicians direct their care with the patient. So I think that's really helpful for SLPs to understand as well. Um, so the next thing that I wanted to go over was AP view. This is another really common tricky topic in the SLP world is that many SLPs I hear and I personally experience struggle to get the radiologist to get on board with turning the patient into AP view and then getting more imaging that way. With the survey, the statement was AP view should be part of the VFSS protocol. So do you agree or disagree? Um, SLPs, the, the median number that they had put was 90. So 90 out of 100, an overwhelming majority strongly agreed that AP view should be part of the VFSS protocol. And then radiologists, the median response was 50. So kind of in the middle, but then more, I know a lot of radiologists were kind of down in the disagree response rate of that. So between 90 and 50. So there's a statistically significant difference between radiologists and SLPs. Uh, a lot of disagreement there. So Ben, I don't know if you want to tap into, again, kind of more of the radiology perspective on that and why that might be. Yeah. So I think that for us being anatomically focused, you can kind of see the classic anatomy that you're looking for, the epiglottis, the true vocal folds and kind of differentiate pharynx from larynx better on the lateral view. So that's like the first thing that we're thinking going into it is like, let me figure out the anatomy here. And so you're, you're always, you're always going to have to do the, the lateral view and the AP to us, I think is seen as sort of like an add on. Um, I think that this gets into a little bit about radiologist training and the lack thereof as it as it pertains to fluoroscopy. So I think that 
you'll probably find that older radiologists are actually more familiar with modalities like fluoroscopy and radiographs than our younger radiologists who depend more on cross-sectional imaging. Um, and in part, that's because things like MRI didn't even like exist before the you know, 80s, early 90s, it was like really increasing in, in utility. And so newer radiologists have become sort of hyper-focused on those cross-sectional modalities. And I think let lapse the uh, learning about fluoroscopy and that anatomic detail that you can get from these other projections. So I think that for a lot of radiologists, it's kind of unclear what additional information can be gleaned from doing like an AP view and not just a lateral view. Again, this kind of gets into the sort of dichotomy, dichotomous view of uh, radiologists, um, you know, aspiration, present, absent, looking for other structural anatomic abnormalities like esophageal webs or Zanker's diverticula or other things that might contribute to aspiration. And a lot of those things are not as well seen on the AP view. And so at, uh, at UNC, it's still, we don't, we don't follow like a um, MB SIMP protocol. And it's kind of an optional thing to, to do the AP view, but we certainly will do it if the speech and language pathologist requests it. Um, so we do have a, talking about dictations, we have like a little field in the dictation that you can specify whether an AP projection was done, but by default, it's defaulted to say it was not performed. Okay. So I love this too. So from the SLP perspective, so I like how you were kind of bringing up the anatomy uh, aspect of that. So looking at the anatomy and AP versus lateral view. Um, and so for SLPs, it's not necessarily, I know just looking at the anatomy from AP view, it's, it's really looking at assessing symmetry of bolus flow pharyngeal contraction, residue, and then just to be able to visualize the esophagus, um, which I know we'll get into the esophagus more because esophageal sweep is a really hot topic too between SLPs and radiologists. So I think from the SLP perspective, just being able to see what the bolus is doing once it goes through the UES and then kind of goes down through the cervical esophagus and to see if there is an esophageal component that could actually be contributing to or causing the oral pharyngeal or pharyngeal uh, dysphagia that we might be seeing. And I know uh, through personal experience, I would a lot of times see residue in the piriform sinuses and the pharynx, but I couldn't quite understand why. And then once we could get that AP view, then you kind of discover maybe more of an esophageal motility issue, um, or you might discover that the bolus is actually going there, traveling asymmetrically through the pharynx. There might be more residue in the, pure, the right piriform sinus as opposed to the left piriform sinus. And we wouldn't be able to catch that in lateral view. So I, you know, I really appreciate being able to hear the radiologist perspective on, oh, you know, it's for more of an anatomical observation, whereas the SLP, it's more of the, what is the bolus doing aspect of it when we're getting that AP view. I, I also love when you're just like, well, you know, if the SLPs want AP view, we'll, we'll do that. I think that's every SLP's dream. <laughs> if we, because not all SLPs. I'm surprised to hear that it's not. I feel like you guys kind of run the show and we're just there to operate the camera. More Thanks, than Ben. Th this is how it should be. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I guess, you know, Ben, what, you know, if, if you could help us in this scenario, what, I guess, how would you advise us to begin this conversation with a radiologist because this comes up so often. You know, my, my radiologist won't even consider doing the AP view. So I think, I mean, it depends on the radiologist, but I think radiologists tend to be kind of practical, like show me why or tell me why people. And so if somebody just told me like, let's do it, period, I mean, I would probably do it, like I said, because we let you guys run the show. But like in another situation, I would be a little bit reluctant if I didn't know why we were doing this in the first place. And so I think if you can say, hey, I see some residue here in one of the piriform sinuses, but I can't tell which one. Could we take a look on the AP view? Or I would really like to see how this bolus is flowing if it's flowing asymmetrically could we look on the AP view, like give a, you know, a reason or like provide some insight into like what you're thinking and why you're wanting to do the, the AP view. So I think that's a good place to start. 
you know, there there is going to be some generational issues, I think, with radiologists who have been doing the same thing the same way for 30 plus years. And I mean, that's true for like a lot of different, different areas, not just radiology or not just medicine. But um, I think that as radiologists retire and they're replaced with more kind of communally or um, cooperatively minded people, um, hopefully that will be alleviated somewhat as well. I think that newer generations of physicians are trained in a cooperative, collaborative setting. Um, and that's, at least in my experience, has been perpetuated in medical schools and addressed with the, the curriculum. So um, hopefully some of that will be changing in the future. But I guess, yeah, specific tips would be like, you know, show, tell us why that you, you want to do something. And that's a great place to start. Awesome. Thank you. That's that's very helpful. Well, I love that too, because it sounds, it sounds so simple, right? But I feel like in the moment, it's, it's, we're just, no, we need to get this done. We have to get this done. And we forget, you know, we need to be better communicators too with our inner, not just radiologists, but interprofessional team as a whole. We really need to be able to communicate not just what we're doing, but why we want to do something. And I think that's really important. So I, I appreciate that, that tip. I think that's crucial. Are you doing fees, but you're not really happy with your software? Are you missing audio recording to complement your voice? Is your system lacking frame-by-frame, fast-forward, or slow-motion review? Is there no integrated fees report with your system? If your answer to any of these questions is yes, I highly recommend getting in touch with our friends at PatCom Medical, because honestly, these features are game-changers. They offer a software solution that includes everything you can wish for when doing fees, and it will work with any system, no matter the brand. You can reach them at info at patcommedical.com or visit www.patcommedical.com. That's P-A-T-C-O-M-M-E-D-I-C-A-L.com. Okay, so I wanted to move on to another hot topic, and I think... This would be really great because I'd love to hear any any tips too from you, Ben, on just how what SLPs could possibly do. Because I think this is probably, at least in my ex, my personal experience and what I have heard anecdotally and also just through the survey, is esophageal sweep. That seems to be, I think, the greatest challenge for many SLPs is is getting an esophageal sweep. Um, so let's see, pulling up the survey that we did. So, okay. The statement was esophageal sweep should be part of the VFSS protocol. And for SLPs, the median response was 100 on a scale of zero to 100. So a lot of SLPs were like, heck yeah, all the way, 100%. We need that esophageal sweep, but radiologists, the, the median response was 50. Um, so huge difference between radiologists and SLPs on their level of agreement with that statement. So I guess just first to maybe better understand the radiologist perspective on why we should not do an esophageal sweep. Ben, can we hear your perspective on that? So like you'll probably discuss uh, with this game-changing article that you brought up, they mentioned in there that radiologists are highly likely to be concerned about missing something. That's like our, you know, what keeps us up at night. Like, did I miss a lung cancer on this study? Did I miss a an esophageal cancer? It's usually centered around like cancers. And so radiologists are very compartmentalized, um, especially nowadays. They're at private practices less so, but at academic institutions much more so. We're kind of divided up by parts of the body. And so it may be in our case, it's abdominal imagers that that read this imaging of the of the pharynx and the, the neck, but it's we don't read anything that's in the chest. And so we may be less comfortable with pathology that you might happen to see as you're doing the uh, esophageal sweep, like in the mediastinum, or you might be, there might be a lung mass or something that you happen to catch in the field of view. And there's a saying in radiology that one view is no views. Um, so if you're just doing a lateral view of the esophagus or a oblique lateral view sweeping through at one time, you're just getting one view and you might, there might be a pulmonary nodule that you just catch on a couple of images, but 
you're, you don't notice it because really that's not what you're focused on. And so I think that the chance for missing pathology is really what's going to make this more difficult for radiologists. I definitely agree that this is kind of going to be the biggest sticking point. Like I said, we're, we're kind of compartmentalized uh, anatomically. And so radiologists may view the um, pharynx and three-phase swallow as being a different piece of anatomy and therefore a different study from the esophagus, which has a dedicated study all for itself, the esophagram, uh, single or double contrast, uh, which is a different study than the upper GI that does the esophagus plus the stomach and the uh, duodenum, which is different from the small bowel follow-through that does all of the small bowel. And so we're kind of compartmentalized into these different sections of the GI tract and don't necessarily want to go like keep going and do, you know, do, do more than what is we see as being compartmentalized into that, uh, into that one area of the body. Um, some of it could have to do with billing as well, particularly if, if you're at a private hospital where, you know, the more you do, the more you get paid. Um, so they might want to see like a separate order for a, a modified barium swallow study plus an esophagram, um, because you can then do a full diagnostic evaluation of the esophagus and you can bill for, for both. So not saying that that's the primary reason or anything, but there, it's a business, I guess, after all, in the end. So that may be a, a component of it as well. Yeah. And I, I think those are really good points for SLPs to understand, just looking at the radiologist's perspective, both from the billing perspective and like you were saying, just kind of being more compartmentalized with, well, there's a separate study for that. And that's, I think, commonly the response a lot of SLPs will get from the radiologist is there's a whole separate study for that. There's the esophagram, you know, so let's save it for that. And what SLPs I know are moving towards, particularly because if we're, if we're trying to implement the MBS-IMP uh, protocol or any other protocol, the esophageal suite might be a part of that. Um, and we're learning more as we're studying dysphagia more, how you know, we used to see swallowing as three separate compartments, basically oral, pharyngeal, esophageal, but we're learning more and more how it's really just all interconnected one big chain and how the esophageal phase can even have an impact on the oral phase. Um, and so missing that third part of the whole swallowing chain can completely affect the way we plan our, our therapy sessions. Or I know SLPs were afraid that we're going to miss something. So if we don't get the esophageal sweep, then we're terrified that we could be missing potentially the primary cause of that person's dysphagia, um, which could lead to um, inappropriate treatment or, well, just treatment planning based on, on incomplete information, I think is our concern with that. Um, and also, I know there are more discussions on how getting an esophageal sweep can improve the referral sources, the timeliness of actually getting that esophagram or um, a GI consult, you know, to further investigate maybe something that is caught through screening. And so I think where we really struggle, and I, I know that this is definitely the most challenging part of the, the disagreement between SLPs and radiologists, um, but I don't know, Ben, if you have any recommendations for what SLPs could potentially do to even just get the ball rolling to discuss esophageal sweep. I've, I've had a lot of SLPs have come to me since doing this research kind of for help to, to help start the conversation with the radiologists. And there have been some great success stories, but then there've also been many cases where it's just never going to happen. There's billing concerns, documentation concerns, concerns that mirror exactly what you had just said, actually. And so they kind of feel like, well, it's a losing game. I'll just never know, I guess, what the esophagus's role is in my patient's dysphagia <laughs> in this case. So I guess, do you have any tips or suggestions for SLPs who might want to approach this topic with their radiologists? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think that having a conversation upfront about you know, studies going forward is is great. Um, I think that understanding the leadership and um, organization of the radiology department at your institution is important. Um, if there are 
division director. So, so frequently I will say at like an academic institution, you'll find that there are um, radiologists within a division, um, whatever division reads the interprets the uh, modified barium swallow studies will probably have a bunch of, you know, anywhere between two and six or eight or 10 radiologists in that division. There will be one of them who's like the head of the division called the division director. They kind of organize and help to um, make any protocol type changes or at least bring up that with their group. And so approaching that person, or if there's a person who's like the director of fluoroscopy, um, some some places may have that, that would be a better person than the division director or like a division for, uh, sorry, the director of gastrointestinal imaging at a, at a center. So find the person who's kind of like either in charge of fluoroscopy in specific, the radiologist in, in charge of fluoroscopy, or in the absence of somebody who is like the director of GI imaging, find the division director, go to that person or in, and just ahead of time say like, I'd like to start a conversation about doing whatever you want to do, AP view and or the esophageal sweep on um, all modified barium swallow studies. So I think that, you know, setting a meeting, providing some information about specifically what you want to talk about beforehand is useful. Like I said, m many radiologists are very kind of data-driven, practical type people and like show me why people. So um, send, maybe send the article that you're going to uh, talk about a little bit later and say, I'll, I'll sending you this uh, copy of this article that describes from a speech language pathology standpoint, why these things are important. Um, and hopefully that should get to get the ball rolling, get people um, at least thinking about it. It may take some time to kind of actually put it into practice, but you know, the more that you talk about it, the earlier that you bring it up, you know, it'll eventually kind of percolate its way through the through the department um, or through the division of abdominal imaging or GI imaging or whatever, what have you. Um, and I think that that's probably the best way to, to start making some headway. I appreciate that. Yeah. So really just being able to get the discussion rolling and finding the right people to, to contact, kind of knowing who to contact, I think is, is really important. And I love that you brought that up. And this kind of makes me want to talk more. So I know we've been talking about just specific practice preferences, AP view, esophageal sweep, ending the study as soon as the patient aspirates. But I also think that one important piece to, at least for SLPs to be aware of when, when they do approach their radiology department, um, not just, okay, this is a protocol, I'm, I'm certified in a modified barium swallow impairment, um, profile, this protocol, here's what we need to do, but also having SLPs just explaining what the purpose of an MBS is from an SLP perspective. So kind of rolling right into that with the survey, that was one of our survey. The one I'm referring to is that the purpose of the VFSS is to rule out aspiration, agree or disagree. And so with that one for SLPs, the median response was 23. So they strongly disagreed with that statement that no, the, the only purpose of the VFSS is not just rule out aspiration. And then radiologists were more on the agreement side where the median response was 56 on a scale of zero to 100 with a level of agreement. So I think that was really eye-opening for me as an SLP to better understand when it comes to um, talking with our, our interdisciplinary colleagues, but particularly radiologists here with this survey, is not just focusing so much on these protocols and the practice methods and preferences, but actually just going back to the basics of, hey, this is actually why we're doing this instrumental. It's not just to look at plus minus aspiration, but we're actually assessing 17 physiologic components of the swallow. And this helps us to build out the most appropriate evidence-based treatment program so we can really set our patients up for success, uh, either to get them off of that peg tube or to get them off of the thickened liquids or to understand why they're aspirating and then targeting compensatory strategies or therapeutic techniques to help prevent that and strengthen that it's so much more than just finding out whether or not they're aspirating, but this is kind of the tool. Well, one of there's fees too, what Teresa does. So it's one of the two instrumental exams, one of the two tools that we use to really set our patients up for success. And I know that that's 
the discussion, it's certainly growing for many reasons, but I know there have been actually, I think, more publications that are discussing dysphagia um, and even saying how dysphagia is beginning to be recognized as a geriatric giant um, with the growing aging population. We're seeing more dysphagia. So I think really for SLPs, it's, it's really time that we start teaming up with radiologists more, informing radiologists about what the actual purpose is for us um, with MBS. And Ben, I don't know if you have any thoughts, I guess, on that particular survey question and just the, the difference between radiologists and SLPs and, and their beliefs, I guess, on what the purpose of an MBS is. Yeah, I mean, I think that you could assume that radiologists know nothing about uh, <laughs> modified barium swallows and the purpose for doing them. Uh, and that would probably be like not terribly wrong uh, in, in many cases. And a lot of that, I think, stems from the fact that things have gotten so advanced imaging centric in radiology. And like, so in training, you're, you're worried about reading these MRIs and CTs and triple or quadruple phase liver studies and uh, contrast enhanced ultrasounds like there are all these modalities that are being thrown at you and fluoroscopy is more, much more concrete and probably seen as like simple and so less attention is paid to it um, i know in my abdominal imaging training um, we did fluoroscopy as a resident but then we didn't do any specialized training in it as a fellow and so you might only get two or three two-week rotations, or may, you might get a total of like eight-ish weeks uh, that you're rotating through the fluoroscopy service during your entire residency training. And, and everything else is split amongst like neuroimaging and pediatric imaging and like all of these other areas. And so it's really a relatively small amount of time that you have to learn from radiologists and um, SLPs during your, your residency training. And, you know, if at, at Michigan, there was, I would say, some interface between the speech language pathologists and the radiologists. They would always come back and look at the more complicated cases with you. And that was like your learning opportunity for modified barium swallow studies. But otherwise, you might not really dictate all that many of them. Um, and so you might not review and you may not really learn that much about them. And so I think that creates this kind of black box for us where patients are referred in, they get this this study, but then we don't necessarily see what comes of it. We don't we don't have that clinical um, expertise as far as how is this patient being treated differently? Like what is their treatment plan going to be based on what we're seeing with this, the results of this study? So for some things that is much more obvious to us, like a rectal cancer, you know it's going to be treated with radiation therapy if it's stage one or two, and it, you know it's going to be treated with chemo radiation or upfront chemo radiation if it's stage three or four. And so we kind of understand that, but we don't necessarily know the what the clinical plan is going to be based on the findings on the modified barium swallow study. So um, yeah, I think that increasing teaching of radiologists, particularly at the resident slash fellow level, um, will, will go a long way. So would you even suggest just like review, so reviewing the MBS findings with the radiologist um, in the reading room as, as something that you would encourage SLPs to do, I guess, so reviewing everything, or I guess it could just be right there in the fluoro suite, if you can play back all the images right there. So encouraging SLPs to maybe stick around to review everything with the radiologist as Something, I guess, that you would recommend to also be like beneficial for radiologists, I guess, because you were saying that that was one of your few learning opportunities. Does that sound about right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if you have the time, particularly if you're at an academic institution. So the problem with private practice, if you're if you're at like a smaller community hospital um, and you're not you don't have any trainees there, for example, if you're if it's just like the radiology attending and that's it, they're going to be super pressed for time and any time that they're not sitting reading studies is time that they're not going home to spend with their kids or whatever. And so it becomes a lot more difficult, I would say, when you're in that private practice situation. But um, at an academic center, you probably have more time to you're you're kind of allotted time for teaching both residents and fellows and medical students. And so in that scenario, it's super helpful, particularly for 
complicated cases. I mean, if it's a straightforward, like normal examination, you don't necessarily have to go over that with the radiologist. But if there are, you know, questionable findings, things you're not sure about, complicated cases, it's always nice to have the speech language pathologist come back and kind of go over it with you. I love that. Um, okay. So I know one thing you had mentioned, I guess, is the, um, the game-changing article. So Teresa, I know at the end of every podcast, you asked about that, but since we'd already brought that up, I'll go ahead and just kind of introduce that because you're talking about that with the last question. We're talking about esophageal sweep. So this article that Ben was mentioning, it, it just came out, I think, I don't know if it was a week ago or so, but it's titled Visualizing the Esophagus During Modified Barium Swallow Studies, <clears throat> a Systematic Review. And it was published in the American Journal of Speech-Language Pathology. Um, the authors are Aaron Reedy, Terry Herbert, and Heather Bonilla. And it's this systematic review of the existing literature on esophageal sweep to actually investigate the evidence for inclusion, basically, of routine esophageal sweeps during MBSs. And, you know, the authors acknowledge in the introduction that it's not totally uncommon to find insufficient evidence to support our clinical practice. So what exactly is the evidence out there that exists to actually support including esophageal sweeps as part of the standard MBS protocol? Um, and ultimately, in this article, you know, they concluded that the review of the literature, and I'm just going to quote the article here, that in the review, it supports a standardized, validated, reliable visualization protocol of the esophagus during the MBS as a critical component to the accurate diagnosis and formulation of treatment recommendations for patients with swallowing disorders. So this is a really great article that I think SLPs could bring up to their radiologists, at least when discussing the purpose of an MBS, the whole swallowing chain, and why, you know, they might want to get that esophageal sweep, you know, as they kind of move forward with building stronger rapport with the radiology team and getting everyone on board, I guess, with these steps. And Ben, I know you had a chance to review this article too. And so I guess you had mentioned you thought that this was actually a pretty decent article to look at from a radiologist perspective even. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I think that there are a lot of good points that they make in there. I think that they do address some of those ideas as to like, why are we going to do the esophageal sweep in the first place? What can it tell us? Um, so it provides us with some very discrete points to think about as reasons to do an esophageal sweep. Um, it does go a little bit into the radiologist's standpoint and what they might be thinking. Um, and I wholeheartedly agree with what they had said, which is that radiologists are gonna be most concerned about missing a finding. Um, they bring up the point that even CT isn't perfect and that because of, you know, a, a CT study might have 200 images to it. And so you can miss something that's only present on one or two CT slices just as easily as you can miss something that's only present on three or four frames of a fluoroscopy study. So, so nothing is perfect. You can miss, miss a finding on, on any given study. Um, I think that the important thing that they bring up as well is to specify that this is a limited examination. I mentioned before our our mantra that one view is no views. Um, so that helps to some to some level. I think that it helps radiologists sleep a little better at night uh, when you can put limitations on a study and say like, well, this is not fully diagnostic for evaluation of the esophagus as only one view was performed. It may not stand up in like a court of law, unfortunately. And that's like some of the problem that you're going to find when you bring this up with radiologists is like this whole medical legal conundrum, but it does something, at least a little something to make us feel better um, saying like, this is a limited examination, not intended for full evaluation of the esophagus and other structures, including mediastinum, heart, um, lungs, trachea, et cetera. So. Um, so I think that those are definitely important to do re regardless if you're going to do an esophageal sweep, but it will be, there will be a little bit of a, a transition for, um, for radiologists. Um, one other point that I um, forgot earlier, but wanted to bring up um, is as far as 
when you're bringing this up with radiologists, if you have a, uh, a mid-level provider that's doing the GI imaging, you'll find that that's probably going to become more and more common, I would guess, at centers across the country. So at Michigan, we had a PA who was kind of in charge of the GI imaging. Um, at UNC, we have a um, radiologist assistant or an RA um, who was recently hired. And so um, these things sort of happened while I was in training, which was in like up through, let's say, 2012 through 2016, we hired that PA in and then hired this radiologist assistant in 2018, I think it was. So it's happening uh, across the country. You'll find that these people will be great points of contact for you because they are always there in the fluoroscopy suite and they're deeply integrated with the processes that are going on. They also have a standing connection to the most appropriate radiologist. And so if you do have any of these mid-level type providers, um, they're a great resource for you as well. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. I actually haven't worked with a mid-level provider at any of the hospitals that I, I have worked in, but I'm hearing more and more SLPs who are also noticing that and finding you know, that they're a great point of contact if they want to discuss something directly with the radiologist. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, okay, so the final thing, I wanted to kind of end this on a positive note, because we did have one question where SLPs and radiologists actually fairly strongly agreed on. There's one statement out of all the questions. One point. <laughs> like, yes, we agree. And it's great because the statement that radiologists and agreed on was question 16. It was standard proto a standard protocol should exist for VFSS. And SLPs, you know, the median response was 85 and radiologists, the median response was 81. So both, you know, pretty much had a really good agreement level with that. And that made me really excited to hear that, at least from an SLP perspective, what that told me. And granted, there is with this study, there is the limitation that uh, we didn't get, you know, nearly as many radiologists as I had hoped for. I think I was originally, my last episode with you, Teresa, I think I said the goal was to get 100 radiologists to respond to this. And I'd have to go through to see how many we actually got. I think, gosh, I don't know if it was maybe, oh, I'd have to look at to see what the number was. It was much less than that though. I don't know if we ended up including, like it was like maybe 40 some radiologists that actually met the criteria. So way fewer than what I had originally hoped for. Um, so it's not, the sample size I don't think is large enough. Obviously we can't say that this represents all radiologists, just like with any study really, but it still got me really optimistic to see at least that of the radiologists that completed the survey and of the speech therapists that completed the survey, we both tended to agree that there should be a protocol that existed. So I think when it comes to working with radiologists, um, kind of feeling that out within your departments, I guess, with your radiologists that you're working with, how do they feel about the current practice methods or protocols that might be in place or not in place? And are they aware of the protocols that actually do exist? And are they aware that if you are certified in MBS, IMP, do they know that? And do they know that there is even uh, a standardized protocol that you have to be certified in as an SLP? So these are things that I kind of learned from my own personal experience, at least when um, discussing these things with my radiology team is about the standardized protocols that exists um, and seeing what the level of agreement is on that. But I don't know if Ben, what were your thoughts, I guess, when looking at all the questions and at least seeing that there was one thing that radiologists and SLPs tended to agree on. And it was that, that a standard protocol should exist. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I'm guessing that most radiologists don't know that there are these, um, these standardized protocols out there in the literature. Um, in part, it seems like they're they're not in radiology journals. So there's probably just because of that, there's not this knowledge of them. A lot of, in, in radiology, a lot of this standardized protocols for things like MRI examinations or CT, or even like certain types of contrast and enhanced ultrasounds are coming out from the national organizations. So for abdominal radiology, it's probably the Society of Abdominal Radiology. They have a lot of these disease-focused panels. Um, and so it's these groups, these 
groups of uh, abdominal radiologists that focus on one particular thing, whether that be pancreatic cancer or hepatocellular carcinoma or dysphagia. And they are the ones that kind of put out these recommendations for specifics, like what you should be doing during an MRI examination, which sequences. And so the same thing could be true for fluoroscopy, where you could have this group would sort of uh, increase knowledge of these um, standardized protocols. So that's, you know, maybe a direction for the future to get radiologists um, more familiarized with the existence of these standardized protocols and understanding like why each step is, um, is being done. So if you were going to start the, the process of change at your institution, because there is such a agree agreement here, it seems like this would be a great way to bring it up to somebody um, and say, I'd like to talk a little bit more about performing a standardized, a modified barium swallow study according to the standardized uh, protocol listed here. So if you're going to set a meeting with a radiologist or set a series of meetings with a radiologist, this would be a good way to introduce that to them. The other thing about having a standardized protocol that radiologists love is we would love to see the same thing in the same order every time because when we're reading a study, we have a search pattern. And so we're going to be looking at the same thing every time in the same way so as not to miss pathology. And so if you're able to provide us with like the same thing in the same order every time it becomes that much easier to read. We're much less likely to miss pathology. And it also lends itself to um, structured reporting, like I mentioned, being able to kind of go through, know what you're going to see in advance and be able to select like things being present or absent or comment on the particular things that you saw on each of these different projections and each of these components of the swallow study, knowing in advance what you're going to see allows you to create a template that allows for efficient reporting. I'm already like envisioning some in-service PowerPoint ideas on kind of how to introduce this discussion between radiologists and SLPs. And what I would hope is that if, fingers crossed, we can get these survey findings get our manuscripts published in a radiology journal, <clears throat> which is what we're working on right now, um, is that hopefully in the future, if this gets published, then this would be a great launching pad for SLPs to use when doing their in-service, kind of pulling up these survey findings and then focusing on actually the one thing that radiologists and SLPs did agree on and then kind of going from there. Because I think that'd be pretty eye-opening to also not just talk again about anecdotally, here's what we hear, or personally, here's how I feel in the work environment, but actually here is an IRB-approved survey that was completed and was published in this radiology journal are just looking specifically at practice preferences and opinions. And this is the one thing that radiologists and SLPs agreed on. Let's talk about this and kind of form a plan together. So that's that's kind of, I think, what we're looking at for future directions. Fingers crossed, hopefully we can get it published. I have, I have a question for you guys, if you wouldn't mind. So Lauren, if you wouldn't mind, I would love to, since we're friends, I've heard the backstory of how Ben ended up coming into helping with your study and kind of things that he said, yay, heck no to. Um, so I didn't, I, I think it's a very awesome story and I would love for you to share it with everybody if you're willing to. About when we first, when Ben first reviewed, we got, okay. So, yep. okay. Yep. So this is, I, I love this. So would we, before Ben was officially onboarded as the, as one of our co-investigators, we had already attempted to submit it to a journal, got rejected, and again, not really, I guess, much of a surprise because it's three SLPs trying to submit their research to a radiology journal, and it could come off very biased. So Ben, when you had reviewed our manuscripts and you had given all your wonderful critiques, it was the first time, honestly, that we were able to truly get a radiologist's perspective on everything and then kind of help direct us and guide us on where to go with this research. What I loved and what I had kind of had to laugh at was when we, we had met up. Um, over Zoom to discuss all of your inputs and your guidance with this manuscript. And we got stuck on a esophageal sweep. And <laughs> I see you're smiling already and nodding with that. Naturally. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be the one, the one area. area yes, yeah, is a sticking point. point. And what was eye-opening, I think, for me, and maybe this is what you're getting at, Teresa, was 
it really showed me and Maggie Doniker and Kelly Salmon, the other two co-investigators of this, of this study, was that we thought we were being so clear in our rationale behind why SLPs would want to include an esophageal sweep, what ACR guidelines say, so American College of Radiology, what ACR guidelines say versus what ASHA guidelines say. And you, were, you still were bringing up, well, actually, you know, from the radiologist perspective, we really wouldn't want to do esophageal sweep because of A, B, and C. So so it proved to me that like, wow, I, I wasn't as clear. We, we were not as clear in, I guess, our writing in this, in this research manuscripts, trying to get the perspectives of speech pathology about esophageal sweep and why it's important. You know, you, you immediately brought, that was kind of the big stop sign, I think, that you first gave us on how to better explain that and the radiology perspective. So I was sharing that with Teresa because this was kind of your first round of, of critiques that you gave us. And I was like, of course, it was the esophageal sweep that we got hung up on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, naturally. I think there's just going to be this kind of mental barrier for radiologists that like, wait a minute, like we're going below the level of the uh, thoracic inlet here. What are we doing? This is, you know, we're, we're, we've compartmentalized it, I think differently. Yeah. So is this whole process has just been eye-opening and and I really appreciate and I know my my the whole team, Maggie, Kelly, and I, and then of course FLPs that will be reading this literature and listening to this podcast, just really appreciate getting this direct input from a radiologist because that's something I'm just so passionate about looking at all sides. We can all get so stuck just looking at on our islands, we always call it speech island, right? So we, we get so stuck on that island and, well, we know what our literature says and we know what we're looking for and this is the most important thing, but it doesn't really get us anywhere if we don't understand our interprofessional colleagues' perspectives or what might be stressing a radiologist out when it comes to documentation and you know, uh, just looking at things from the patient's health, what if, you know, things that could be missed or it's not the appropriate assessment or what will your documentation even allow you to do when you're writing in the radiologist notes. So I think it's really important that we get these perspectives. Um, I just had to laugh with, with that manuscript when that was kind of the, the biggest, the first thing that we were kind of approaching, looking at our differences, but then learning more from you as well. Oh, okay. These are really good points. And I'm seeing areas that I need to work on as an SLP and hopefully help other SLPs work on as well to help bridge this gap between radiologists and SLPs. Well, yes, I'm happy, if nothing else, that I was able to (laughs) provide some areas that uh, future conversation can be held. Absolutely. All right. You guys, this was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Ben, do you have any, any final thoughts? We're eternally grateful for you to obviously join Lauren and Maggie and Kelly on their paper, but also to spread this information to thousands of SLPs that'll hear this. Yeah, I'm glad to have been here. Um, It's been a pleasure uh, working on the project uh, so far with you guys. I think that there's a lot of interesting information that's going to come out of it. And I think that I hope that you'll find that, like I said, as uh, radiologists become younger and younger, or as, you know, the generations sort of go more towards millennial radiologists, that I think that people will be a lot. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There'll be a lot different training. I think the medical training is uh, is evolving and we're finding that collaboration is key. So hopefully we will um, see ongoing conversations in the future. Beautiful. Awesome. And thank you, Lauren, obviously for starting this project and for finding Ben. So yes, absolutely. I'm excited. I'm really, really excited. And I do. I'm really hopeful, um, as as Ben was saying to you, just for, for on, onboarding physicians in the future, Uh, just where I think we can go and how much we can improve our interprofessional collaboration. I'm very optimistic. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, you guys. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks, you guys. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. 
Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.